0: We're looking at Wisconsin's bail system on The Morning Show. I'm Kate Archer kent The deadly Waukesha Christmas parade renewed calls for bail reform. The suspect in the attack was out on bail for another violent felony case. Milwaukee District Attorney John Chisholm told the county board's Judiciary Safety and General Services Committee last week the staff prosecutor didn't have access to the risk assessment in this case. He said it wasn't uploaded to the system when the cash bond was set at, quote, inappropriate low $1,000 for the suspect.
1: Uh, We have established a risk assessment system in Milwaukee County, um, which is really important to understand. When I first ran in 2007, I, I made a commitment to the community that I would do everything in my power to try to identify people by risk.
0: Has the Waukesha Parade tragedy changed how you think about bail? 800-642-1234. Nate Gilliam is Director of Organizing and Policy Analysis at the Milwaukee Freedom Fund, which seeks to end pretrial detention. Nate, welcome to the Ideas Network.
1: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: Good morning. You heard Milwaukee D.A. John Chisholm there, and he later said this case involving the suspect, Daryl Brooks, is a prosecutor's deepest fear, their worst fear. And he wanted to make sure nothing like this happens again. When you learned about the bail, what was your reaction?
1: Um, when I learned about the bail, um, I, I kind of it was a really weird situation to, to hear about people kind of focusing on the bail Um because, you know, bail is a release decision in general. So somebody made a decision to to release uh, this person. But in general, I, I was thinking about the other steps, the other preventative measures um, in relation to this particular case. So I, 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 bail didn't jump into my head until other people started talking about it, mainly law enforcement, politicians and things like that.
0: Other steps, other preventative measures, what are those and what should have been people, what should they have been thinking about?
1: Well, it it was really interesting to hear about, you know, again, like politicians, law enforcement, and some district attorneys talk about the bail in particular, because there is a process. And I think Chisholm talked about it. other, Other people who are in this line of work talked about it, that if they feel that someone is um, a, a serious harm to other people, that they have a separate process that's already in state law, that they can already use to make that assessment, and then whether they, they you know, invoke bail or, or other preventative measures for, for people that already exist. So, so again, the, the idea around bail being the sticking point for a lot of people uh, from our aspect look very sensationalized in this moment.
0: It's been a sticking point for Representative Scott Allen of Waukesha. We talked to um, the representative last week and said, you know, he's pushing for stricter bail laws. What is your response to that?
1: Well, so there's been yeah a lot of talk about stricter bail laws, but even there's a there was a, D, a Republican DA in Winnebago County that that clearly said. Um, you start tinkering with bail laws and making it more prohibitive, you will create, you know, a system that, that has greater economic disparities that already has them. So you have a Republican DA saying this in the state of Wisconsin and not in, you know, Milwaukee or, or however people want to think of people's political orientation. People who deal with this understand that the bail system already has great, vast problems and so when lawmakers kind of knee jerk to an incredibly tragic situation and they try to propose things that, that are just going to cause greater harm down the road.
0: Let's dig deeper there because cash bail, as you say, favors the rich who can pay it and then they go free. They go home um, while poor people are frequently forced to remain in jail while they await trial. What is the impact of that?
1: well i mean so in in wisconsin and all, all over the country what happens is you you start to have you know incredibly stratified you know racialized uh you know class based and essentially ableist you know situation where people are that are most vulnerable are harmed by and large so again like this individual situation that ha- happened in waukesha is not reflective of what happens in the system so the majority of people are sitting in jail, haven't been convicted of a crime and waiting to be bailed out because they can't they can't afford it. That that is so the majority of people you're going to have in jail are going to be poor. They're going to be black and brown people. And that just causes greater harm for these people in their communities because there's so many other risks uh, that happen, you know, subsequent risks from being uh, in, in prison pre-trial
0: we're talking with Nate Gilliam who is with the Milwaukee Freedom Fund as we look at the bail system the culture of bail in Wisconsin you can join in at 800-642-1234 Nate take us into someone's life how does staying in jail before a trial affect their life
1: Well I mean you have to think about it if you're if your freedom is revoked there's so many things I mean we all live in a world that you know we need money to survive so you know people are at risk of, uh, at risk of losing their housing they're at risk of losing jobs if they have them some people are at risk of you know being deported some people are at risk at um, losing their their children so like literally their whole lives even like a short stay in jail can be like overturned and this harms not just that individual but all the people that they're they're connected to their whole community and this happens Uh, disproportionately to black and brown communities in in the state of Wisconsin.
0: Cash bail has sometimes been called a poor people's tax that has, as you say, a disproportionately negative effect on people of color. Can you explain that a little bit? What is the inequality here?
1: Well, again, I mean, this is this is a thing of uh, just the the wider net of society where, you know, we have incredible wealth inequality in this country, mm. um, and we have also um, an over-policing and over-criminalization of Black and brown communities. So our communities are, are first over-policed, and then also then people tend to get locked up more, but then we don't have the same amount of wealth as most other communities to be able to support each other. So again, like not only the individual people's families, people's communities are coming together, scraping together whatever they have to bail somebody out of jail. And that causes incredible ripple effects within when the, within uh communities.
0: Why does the system continue to exist the way it does? Uh <laughs>
1: that's a that's a very that's a tough question. It's a deeper question than probably the the time we have here. <laughs> but I I think um Honestly, it's, it's going to take a lot of political will and, and greater imagination to not use punitive measures um, to, to deal with social problems that we have. And that that's kind of what we've been doing. Um, again, our work, we, we promote that, you know, we spend a lot of money on policing, surveilling, incarcerating people. That money is better served securing people's housing. Securing health care, mental health resources, uh, resources that that are just community and life affirming. And you know, there's studies to show that 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 would mitigate a lot of harm that we see in our communities.
0: Let's go to Chris in Milwaukee. Chris, hi, what would you like to say about the bail system?
2: Hi, I'm hoping that the guest will talk about the people who have to get out because they have kids or for whatever reason they have to get out of jail. And the only way to get out is to plead guilty to to something. And oftentimes they may not be guilty, but they have to plead to get out of jail. And there are consequences to having that guilty verdict, because once you've said it, you can't take it back. I'm hoping it can be talked about, and I'll hang up and listen.
0: Chris, thank you. Nate, go ahead.
1: Oh, yeah, I, I really, really appreciate that question. And that that's another point with, with the way that I guess our—, our you know, our, our society and our our systems have kind of coerced people into kind of dealing with the immediate need, especially when you're like, when you struggle with resources. So um, the big intervention that, that we try to make um, in terms of Milwaukee Freedom Fund is to, people can get out besides getting back to their lives, but try to be able to defend themselves with their, with their case, because sometimes people are in jail and they, and they're kind of coerced into fleeing. And then these have lifelong effects. So I appreciate the caller actually raising that point because that is, that is clearly what happens to a lot of people. And again, that a lot of times that's a very wealth based situation. It's, it's, it's racial, it's class, those kind of decisions for wealthier people who who may get caught up in the carceral system, that does not happen to them to the same, uh, to the same effect.
0: Nate Gilliam with the Milwaukee Freedom Fund as we discuss the ongoing uh, system over cash bail, how it's used in Wisconsin's criminal justice system. How has the ability to afford bail affected you and your family? Have you thought about alternatives to bail? How do you think Wisconsin's system compares to other states? Join in 800 642 1234. We'll pick this up in a minute with Nate Gilliam here on the Ideas Network. We're discussing the movement away from the practice of requiring defendants to post monetary bail here on The Morning Show. I'm Kay Darcher-Kent. Under state law, cash bail can be used only as a means of making sure the accused appears for the next court hearing. Cash bail is an amount of money a defendant pays to be released from jail while their case is pending. And the Commonwealth Fund, it says the cash bail system disproportionately affects people of color and endangers the health of black Americans. Do you work in the justice system? Do you see a connection between bail reform and public safety? Join in 800-642-1234. Nate Gilliam heads up policy analysis for the Milwaukee Freedom Fund and stays with us. Let's bring on another caller, Richard, joining us from Two Rivers. Hi, Richard. Go ahead
3: yeah good morning yeah i have a um simple question is what um what is there any regulations or guidelines for judges who are setting the uh amount um, uh like for example the you know the parents of the child that are set out a half million and this person that set out a thousand is there any regulations on the judges at all to set an amount that's
1: standard
0: Richard asking about the discretion of judges in setting bail. Nate, go ahead.
1: Yeah, uh, judges have actually an incredible amount of discretion in setting bail. And um, so, yeah, they, they do that. But they do have that power within law. Um, generally, there's like a suite of, you know, different uh, harms that, that, that judges probably put in you know how much they want to put out in terms of bail the, you know and this is also like depending on place but that can also be skewed i mean it it literally is that judge's discretion um the issue i think for for us or people that are looking to um you know push back against this is the amount of oversight that you that you have over judges and the kind of bails that they're setting and who they're setting the bails for is 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 really important So they do have kind of a general format that they have the discretion to to set different bails for different for different crimes. Um, But there is some oversight that I think the public needs to see about that because you have incredible disparities between um, some bails that are set all over the state of Wisconsin. So
0: let's move one state over. Um, Illinois became the first state to eliminate cash bail earlier this year, change going into effect in twenty twenty three. What do you see Illinois doing? And do you think it could have legs and happen in Wisconsin?
1: Well, um, the work in Illinois uh to to pass that legislation was uh really incredible work, uh, incredible hard work for you know a, a movement that that kind of initiated it and like grassroots organizers were able to to do a lot and 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 then it kind of snowballed to have uh you know politicians and communities and different organizations uh you know faith-based organizations to really uh get along to push their their politi- uh, politicians all over the state of illinois to really support that um yeah it's it's honestly we're we're sitting at in in wisconsin it's it's a very uh inspirational kind of reform that has happened um they they are looking to by 2023 to let, uh, abolish uh money bond and also kind of reduce the reach of uh You know, violations for pretrial conditions and then also um, to to have more oversight on risk assessment tools that are that are used, uh, because those also can be harmful as well.
0: We're going to be talking more about risk assessment tools and those algorithms, but I'm just looking elsewhere around the country. New York gives judges the discretion to release defendants unable to afford bail under the condition that they periodically meet with the social workers and complete regular phone check-ins. What do you think about a, a supervised release program like that?
1: Um, you know, we we wouldn't, you know, push for that at all um, because, the again, these are like Sometimes technical violations have people end up back in jail. Hmm. Um, so these kind of situations, and that's been studied all over the country where some of these reforms have happened. Um, you know, again, uh, I think the ability for the public to understand and have oversight over some of these processes are really, really important. Um, I know a lot of people say, "Well, it's not a person sitting in jail; they have to check in," but there's, there's literally. If somebody is compromised and they're, they're also poor dealing with the carceral system, there's a hundred reasons of why they may like miss a, an appointment or, uh, you know, miss some kind of phone call that, that literally can change their life again and end them back up in jail. So, um, you know, we would definitely caution about reforms that on, on face value, they seem better, but also can reproduce, um, you know, other problems down the road.
0: We have Nate Gilliam with us, director of organizing and policy analysis at the Milwaukee Freedom Fund, as we look at the system of bail here in Wisconsin. With your thoughts and experiences, let's go to Jose in Green Bay. Hi, Jose. What is your experience?
1: Um, Like I was telling the lady that answer, uh, that's something that I'm going through uh, right now. Um, It was just, I totally agree with what the gentleman is saying, uh, something needs, needs to get done. Um, some of the bail bonds that they're setting, this is just ridiculous. And um, I know in some other states, you're allowed to put like 10% down or 20% down. And, and they in the state of Wisconsin, I found out that you can't do that. You have to come up with a total amount. And like I said, that's something that I'm going through with my fiancé right now. She doesn't have any money. She doesn't work. She's on, on welfare. And she's she's sitting right now and with some ridiculous uh, bail bonds. You just can't come up with it i can't come up with it quite frankly you know i'm just disgusted and disappointed with uh with the whole the whole abel um system um that's all that i have to say thank you
0: thank you jose nate what advice what could you offer jose
1: well i mean it's an incredibly uh unfortunate situation uh, and I uh, you know i'm sorry to hear that and and, and this is kind of the thing we hear in Milwaukee Freedom Fund all over the state of Wisconsin we we get people reaching out to us in Milwaukee. we're very we're a very small organization. There are a couple other bail funds in the state and they're also very small and, and the majority of us are uh, volunteers. I fortunately am actually staff, but um, it's it's this is a problem not not just a Milwaukee problem, not just a Dane County problem or southeast Wisconsin problem. This is happening all over the state where people are literally forced into these like life altering situations. And I think there needs to be more oversight over bail and we need to end cash money bail in Wisconsin. That's, that's just bare bones on that.
0: Decisions concerning pretrial release could happen maybe in a mere few minutes, perhaps without a thorough review of the facts and maybe more context is, is that rapid decision-making part of the problem?
1: Um, I mean, I think, you know, listening to some of the the, you know, I know, uh, D. A. Chisholm got a lot of like flack for this situation, and they're uh, hearing him talking about like, you know, the procedural issues. That that probably is a issue, but also I think we we need to really like it's it's a problem that's greater it's like a societal problem that we need to really look at what is criminalized how communities are criminalized and what what is happening and what resources are there to support people in the community um so again if we just kind of regulate this issue to what what happens in in the in the courts and in the and the jails it, it, it it's going to kind of reproduce itself so i i don't know if there's solutions even in some procedural things that that are going to like up in some of these disparities that we see.
0: Let's go to Kenneth in Northern Illinois. Kenneth. Hi.
3: Hello.
0: Hi. We can hear you, Kenneth. Go ahead.
3: Oh, well, I just wanted to make a comment. Um, I've been locked up a lot in my life and um, the times that I haven't been able to afford bond, um, you know, they, they worked out a way for themselves to, in order to, work for them to get me out onto the street with probation and stuff like that. However, there was one time I had a DUI and my bond was $100. That time I was able to afford it. However, I wanted to sit my time in jail in order for it to work for me, in order for
4: me to sit the time that I deserved to sit and have the case dismissed with
3: whatever. And unfortunately, they ended up uh, kicking me out, well, due to COVID, but... I had no say in it and this was back in March of 2020 and I'm still going to court for it now it's almost
1: been 2 years that in- I'm going to court for this DUI.
0: Can I thank you Nate short on time any thoughts there?
1: Yeah, I, I just think we need to really really reexamine what what we're doing with our uh our our system in Wisconsin to to kind of punish people. I, I really appreciate the comment. I, I wish people had a more self-determined way to intervene with however they want to choose to deal with with harm in this community. But th- these are again like wider collective societal shifts that need to happen.
0: Nate, so, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Nate Gilliam, Director of Organizing and Policy Analysis at the Milwaukee Freedom Fund, will pick up the conversation after a news update on the Ideas Network. We're at the intersection of risk assessment tools and these mathematical formulas applied to pretrial justice here on The Morning Show. I'm Kate Archer Kent. Are risk assessment tools the key to bail reform, or do algorithms have the potential for racial bias? According to the research site called Mapping Pretrial Injustice, Pre-trial risk assessment tools are used straight across the country in more than 1,000 counties, including over 20 here in Wisconsin. Do you live in a county where they're used? Join in 800-642-1234. Kelly Thompson is Wisconsin's state public defender, appointed a decade ago. Kelly, welcome back to the Ideas Network.
4: Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate that.
0: We also have Chris Griffin with us, Director of Empirical and Policy Research at the University of Arizona's James E. Rogers College of Law. Chris, welcome to you.
3: Good morning. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Chris, we'll start with you as we've been talking about bail reform. Certainly eyes on Milwaukee District Attorney John Chisholm, who talked about human error as to why Daryl Brooks's Jr. was on a bail the night he drove his SUV through the Christmas parade. Why do you think this tragedy is sparking conversation about bail reform?
3: Um, My understanding is that it it raises questions of how decisions are made about what amount of bail is right to seek in any defendant's case, and with or without a risk assessment, whether one had been provided, um, whether the county had had one, I don't know that it is accurate to ever pin uh, an outcome, as tragic as it was, on the use or lack of use of a risk assessment, um, there are so many factors that can go into it but but I do understand why it has um, uh, taken a, a large role in the conversation.
0: Kelly, what is the role of public defenders in bail recommendations? Well, as the
4: defense attorney as a public defender, we have an opportunity um, first of all, we've met usually have met with the individual ahead of time we've had a chance to Look at a criminal complaint, or at least talk with the individual, and we have the opportunity to make a bail recommendation. And part of that recommend, recommendation can be made with or without that risk assessment. The risk assessment, if provided, is provided to the prosecutor, to the public defender, and we have an opportunity to look at that, look at the information that's that's there, and then make um, an argument to either the ju- to the judge or to the court commissioner based on what we believe would be an appropriate bail for that person that we're sitting with.
0: How much weight do you put on the risk assessment?
4: It depends. The risk assessment is a tool. Um, I know that a lot of conversations have been happening around the, the risk assessments, but they're a tool. They're a tool to provide information that we may not otherwise have in a very quick situation where we're trying to make a bail decision. So that tool doesn't replace discretion. It doesn't re- replace that uh, uh, other information that we may have, or that we may be provided from our client, from that individual sitting with us. It m- doesn't replace the information that a prosecutor might have in addition to, or again, discretion that's made. But it's a, it's a tool that provides us with that information, um, additional information that I think is important.
0: Chris, can you kind of walk us through how the tool works?
3: Absolutely. Um, so, tools of this sort in general, these pretrial risk assessment instruments uh, purport to take a defendant's criminal history and turn it into something that both uh, lawyers for the state, public defenders or other defenders, and the judge themselves can use to look at the level of risk that might occur if the person were released pretrial. And it does so usually through an algorithm. Now, a lot of listeners may hear algorithm and think something fancy like artificial intelligence. Uh, but in in all of the cases that I'm aware of, it's really more like a, a formula. And the formula takes those criminal history pieces of information and usually turns them into scores. Um, the one that is in use in Wisconsin, the Public Safety Assessment, has scores for failing to appear and for being arrested for new criminal activity. And it converts those two scores also into a recommendation uh, for what the uh, release plan should be if the court decides to release. And, and the whole goal, again, is to try to get some sense of if the person were released pre-trial, what um, what is the relative level of risk that the person would engage in um, risky behavior?
0: Is this a private industry? I mean, there are different types of risk assessment tools. Who are the creators and and how much is known about what this formula looks like?
3: In some cases, they are purely proprietary. Uh, The information about what goes into the risk score and how it's weighted is kept under lock and key by the company that created it. Um, The one that I just mentioned, the public safety assessment, though, uh, was created by an organization known as Arnold Ventures at the time, the Laura and John Arnold Foundation. And uh, they have complete transparency with respect to the risk factors that go into the algorithm and the weights that you would apply to each of those factors to generate the risk scores.
0: Kelly Thompson, how are risk assessment tools, how are they affecting defendants in Wisconsin courtrooms? What do you see?
4: Well, we again, we see it's across the board. So if, if you're considered low risk based on this risk assessment, you may or may not get a, a lower bail or some type of, of a signature bond. It may provide outstanding outside of that cash bail other bail restrictions that you may or may not need but again because it's not used um, in a silo it's it's used with that discretion um, it, it, it a low-risk person can end up still with a higher bail based on on certain factors that may come to light or may um, it may be persuasive to the to the person making that decision so it can again be used as a tool and as it's not a perfect tool you know, we talk about um, in Wisconsin, especially disproportionate minority confinement. That's an issue that we always have to be worried about because we, we, it, we're, it's a significant factor for us. So we have to recognize that. Again, there are there are limitations to what some of these tools can be used, but the criminal justice system we're so woefully behind in where other industries are using. Basically, research and evidence. Um, I think we've we've gotten a lot better. And what these tools have provided us, such as a risk assessment, what Chris is talking about, is again that additional information that we may not have to make some of these decisions. Cash bail, putting a high bail on someone, doesn't ensure. Safety, um, and we recognize that. I think people feel that well, if we just put you know thousands and thousands of dollars on someone, that may be the reason to, that you know another crime is not going to be committed. But that's not the case. So it's looking at all of these different factors, recognizing it's certainly not perfect, using individuals like researchers like Chris that are constantly doing these tests and and looking at the data to say where we can be better, where we can improve, but also using something like uh, risk assessment to provide us with uh, information that we not, we haven't necessarily had in the past or, or had so readily available, or using those factors that we consider somewhat uh, telling for the future.
0: You've worked in criminal justice, Kelly, for a number of years, and I'm just wondering if you have watched the evolution of these computer-assisted tools, and it, it just begs the question, like, what did they use before they had these algorithms?
4: We used the information that we had in front of us, and we used, you know, a lot of it was, you know, your gut. Um, A lot of it was, you know, if we had specific information, a former, you know, a previous criminal record information that was provided by the individual that's been charged with the crime, their family members, we've used that information. But, you know, again, it's uh, the criminal justice system, and I and I think it's really important to emphasize that this risk assessments don't take away still that gut feeling or that information, that persuasive information. This is still done by individuals. Um, it's again just saying, hey, we have this this body of research that we believe, based on all of the studies that have been done, that can be helpful in in determining um, what should be done in the in the bail in the. In the bail area and pre-trial area, um, but it's not perfect, and none of this is perfect. And we are, you know, we're looking because of the seriousness of so many of the crimes that have people have been charged with. We want, we want to make, we want assurances, and that's just that's that can't happen. We can only make sure that we are providing the best information possible and using that information appropriately.
0: We have Kelly Thompson with us, State Public Defender, and Chris Griffin, who's Director of Empirical and Policy Research at the University of Arizona's College of Law. You can join in. Do you work in the justice system? What do you think of the bail system as it exists? What is your position on the commercial bail bond industry? Join in at 800-642-1234. Chris, I'm just struck that, that Kelly has said, you know, a lot of this honestly comes down to that gut feeling what you feel what you know what is happening inside of you as you review a case um you know what does that say then about bail bonds in Wisconsin and America that it can really come down to that type of discretion
3: yeah it's a, it's a it's a really uh deep point that Kelly made because that largely describes the world pre-risk assessment use, um, but it doesn't mean that in the presence of risk assessments, there isn't still uh, consideration of what people feel. And what I mean by that is uh, reinforcing what Kelly said. First, these risk assessment tools are never, ever mandatory. They never tell the court that this is the way that someone should be released if they're going to be released pre-trial it rather makes a recommendation. And so judicial discretion is always, always a part of the system. So too is the discretion of a prosecutor or a public defender to argue for a different type of release. Um, So professional judgment and that type of wisdom are always a part of the scheme. Uh, but without a risk assessment, which provides systematic objective information to the stakeholders in the court, its I wouldn't say it's all gut, but there's a lot of sense impression about looking at somebody's criminal history uh, and trying to come up with on one's own a sense of the risk that that is posed. Um, a lot of it turns on uh, that professional judgment and that experience, and there could be um, some error in that. And the the hope of risk assessments was to take that most objective information and provide that um, as just another piece in the puzzle of trying to figure out what would happen if this person were released pre-trial.
0: What about the data and racial bias in the data? Do, are there big concerns about that?
3: There are concerns um, about bias. Uh, the The main reason why is If the risk assessment tool is using a person's criminal history, and if we also know uh, through a lot of empirical research that people's interaction with the criminal justice system is strongly tied to their race and or ethnicity, uh, then we might expect uh, non-white people to be classified as higher risk just because their criminal histories are more robust than a comparable white person. And um, that is absolutely a concern. The hope for a risk assessment tool, though, is that if you were to have two people who are one is white and one is non-white, and they are classified the same under the risk assessment tool, then um, they would be treated the same in terms of the recommendations for. Uh, for release. So uh, I, it's a big, big question about how to get rid of uh, this bias. And I think one easy way is for people in the courtroom, especially a public defender, the judge themselves to, uh, to take that into consideration hmm. in the sense that um, there, there may not be as strong uh, a reliance on the risk assessment tool in those cases
0: university of arizona policy research professor chris griffin there we have wisconsin state public defender kelly thompson as we look at these computerized tools in the pretrial system and their role do you live in a county where risk assessment tools are used how much faith do you have in the fairness of them what is the key to bail reform join in 800-642-1234 back in a minute on the ideas network It's The Morning Show. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. The think tank, the Prison Policy Initiative, says more than a half a million people are detained pre-trial. That is, they're awaiting trial, still legally innocent. And many many people are jailed pre-trial simply because they can't afford cash bail. Still time to talk about the future of the bail system, 800-642-1234. We have Wisconsin State Public Defender Kelly Thompson and Chris Griffin, a professor at the University of Arizona College of Law. They stay with us. Let's bring on a caller now. Carolyn is joining us from Milwaukee. Hi, Carolyn.
2: Hi. um, I just had uh, two questions. First, how... uh, how does the the overtaxing of the the um, court system now play into this? Uh, are they? Just a second, I'm going to turn off my radio. Um, how does that how does that play into this? Are are people let off more more easily because they don't want to put more people in jail and because uh, they can't handle it right now because there's not enough there aren't enough resources and because of uh, post COVID. I mean, because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And then the other uh, question I have is is more a personal one. Uh, There were some kids in my daughter's neighborhood who carjacked somebody with a gun, and they were let off right away. And I'm just wondering, and they had all the evidence on them and everything, and I'm just wondering why is why is that kind of thing happening now that didn't I don't think it used to happen, but maybe it did
0: Carolyn thank you for bringing that to the table Kelly Thompson, would you like to go there go ahead
4: sure i can I can start I think you know there is a perception of a kind of an in and out in our in our criminal justice system. It is, I will start out with Carolyn's first question is, is it an overburdened system? It is absolutely an overburdened system. We've asked the criminal justice system to do so much. We ask it to be the largest mental health hospital in our state, but not just in our state, this is happening across the nation. We ask it to take care of a number of type of addictions, health care issues, I would argue, that could better be done um, than our prison and our jail systems. We want we want the criminal justice system to handle so much, and we don't have the resources for it. We also don't have the subject matter expertise um, either, um, and the system is overburdened. With COVID, there was a, a temporary time where we we're looking for alternatives to try and get individuals out of custody. Um, but that was that was short lived. Our jails are full. Our prisons are full. We have, you know, daily almost six thousand people across the state that are sitting in jail cells waiting for their day in court. And I think what people this is the struggle for people too. is People are innocent until proven guilty. That is so basic um, in our justice system. And as you know, examples are used, but they you know, but they did it. These people still are afforded that right. And when we take someone out of the community and put them in a jail cell waiting for that day, even 48 to 72 hours, especially individuals who are already not overly stabilized in our community, we've completely destabilized them. And when we destabilize these individuals, we destabilize their families, we destabilize our communities, and we are not we are not gaining public safety. And I think people are hoping, well, if we put them in jail, then we have more public safety. Absolutely not. People are coming out eventually. And if we take those resources and break those community um, resources, we may our our communities less safe in addition to that we in wisconsin using wisconsin as an example we have we have a strong economy we're also an older state our workforce are sitting in in cages in jails and prisons and again when if we start if businesses start to lose to leave the state because we don't have that workforce because we've you know continually taking people in and out of the communities um you know they will leave the state and then that impacts our community and again that where does it impact the most our poor communities our communities that really are struggle the most so i think again it's it is we have to really use we have to use individuals like chris griffin because i don't have this i don't have this expertise he is doing the research he is doing you know the dissecting of where we can where we can be better we have to be comfortable or get comfortable in the criminal justice system of using data and using research and that is that is i think we've gotten so much better but it is still it it, we have a long way to go and we need individuals who can say these are these are things that that we've looked at over the years these these are things that have worked Um, because that is i think that's where we improve our criminal justice system
0: As as Kelly talks, Chris, about the ripple effect there and the data and the research that you're looking at, you've been working with Harvard Law School's Access to Justice Lab studying Dane County's use of the public safety assessment tool. What is going on there?
3: Yeah, um, so I used to be the research director at the Access to Justice Lab before coming to the University of Arizona. And um, I unfortunately will just note that we, We do have a preliminary report. Um, It it is so, so early, uh, mainly because, um, and I appreciate Kelly's words uh, about the research that we conduct, Um, I I agree that it is really important to make the law and criminal justice in particular much more evidence-based than it is. And the research that my colleagues and I are doing are trying to provide an additional basis in evidence. The risk assessment tools, are based on evidence about what happens when people of um, various backgrounds, in terms of their interfaces with the criminal justice system, when they're released, what happens, and and our research is going to uh, hopefully help show what happens when the risk assessment tool is made available, and uh, so while. Um, we look forward to the final results on that. It would be far too premature. Um, the re- the results are not policy relevant at the moment, um, but we're, we're finding for sure that the implementation of the tool in Dane County, the commitment of stakeholders across the system in Dane County was absolutely tremendous. It was hmm. all uh, by the gold standard that had been set for the risk assessment and the commitment of everybody involved To making it work was extraordinary to see.
0: Well, we will continue this conversation. Kelly and Chris, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you. Yes, thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate it.
0: Kelly Thompson, Wisconsin State Public Defender. Chris Griffin is Director of Empirical and Policy Research at the University of Arizona College of Law. Earlier, we talked with Nate Gilliam of the Milwaukee Freedom Fund. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. This is The Morning Show and you're listening to the Ideas Network.